This afternoon, we are studying what Scripture teaches about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So let us now read together Lord's Day 31. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. As far as the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to begin the sermon with a statement that I hope will catch your attention. Uh, that statement is this. What you're doing right now, sitting in this pew, listening to a sermon, is the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. So what you're doing right now is the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. And that is not an overstatement by any means. Listening to the gospel being preached is more important than anything you will do otherwise. And how can I say this? Well, it's because something happens when the preaching of the gospel occurs. Something life-changing. Something with eternal implications. Eternal implications. You see, as I stand up here speaking to you this afternoon, I'm not just giving you information. I'm not giving you information. I'm not giving a TED Talk The preaching of the gospel, when faithfully done, is a a work of our Lord Jesus that does something, that accomplishes something. It's a work that either brings us into the kingdom of heaven, or it keeps us out of it. The same is true of church discipline as well. When faithfully done, church discipline is an act of our Lord that does something. 
It's an act that either keeps us out of the kingdom of heaven or ushers us into it. As we confess from Lord's Day 31, by the preaching of the gospel and by church discipline, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. We hope to see both of these things from Scripture this afternoon as I preach to you the Word of God, and I'll do so this afternoon under the following theme, by the keys of the kingdom, we are either brought into the kingdom of heaven or kept out of it. And then we'll see this in relation to, first of all, the preaching of the gospel, and secondly, the exercise of church discipline. So Lord's Day 31 describes the key of the preaching of the gospel in the following way. And I summarize a little bit. The kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed to each believer that God has forgiven them all their sins for the sake of Christ as often as they accept the promise of the gospel. That's the opening of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed to unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. So this is a catechism summary of scripture on this matter, and it is spot on the mark. See, this teaching comes to us for, uh, straight out of Holy Scripture. And to see this, we're going to focus on our reading from Acts chapter 13. You see, Acts 13 is a crystal clear example of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, specifically the key of preaching of the gospel in action. So let's dive into that chapter. We can start right at the very beginning. And the first thing Acts 13 shows us is that the preaching of the gospel is a work of the Holy Spirit. A work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, There were a number of prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, including Barnabas and Saul, later named Paul. And we read, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So Barnabas and Saul were called by the Holy Spirit to do a specific task. What was that work? Well, the rest of Acts 13 makes clear that the Holy Spirit wanted them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's, it's striking when you read this. This is perhaps, this is one of the only instances in all of Scripture where the direct words of the Holy Spirit himself are recorded for us. Now, don't get me wrong. Every word in Scripture is a word of the Holy Spirit. But this is one of the only instances where the Holy Spirit inspired an author to record something the Holy Spirit himself said. What does he say? Set apart these men for this work. The work of the preaching of the gospel. That shows how important this work is to the Holy Spirit and to our God. And this work is so important because this is how the kingdom of heaven advances in this world. That's clear from the entire book of Acts. The kingdom of heaven advanced through the Roman Empire as the gospel was preached. 
and that continues today in our time. This is how God gathers his elect into his church. So this is, this is serious business, the preaching of the gospel. See, the same is true today. The presence of the preaching of the gospel means that the kingdom of heaven has come. It has advanced to you here in Winnipeg. It's right here in front of you. And we can either be ushered into that kingdom through the preaching or kept out of it. To help us see this, let's look at how this works in the rest of Acts 13. So Paul and Barnabas they were set apart by God the Spirit to preach the gospel. First they sailed to the island of Cyprus. When they came to the city of Paphos, verse 6 then narrows the story down to two different men. One of them was a proconsul, which was a type of Roman governor. His name was Sergius Paulus. The other one was a sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or Elymas. Now, the proconsul himself, Sergius Paulus, had summoned Paul and Barnabas. He wanted to hear the word of God. And so Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. But Elymas, the magician and false prophet, was there too, and he opposed Paul and Barnabas. And he tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming. And in response, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, You son of the devil, you enemy of all uh, righteousness, Full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And with those words, you can see how serious the Holy Spirit takes preaching of the gospel. Elymas was trying to poison the proconsul's mind towards the good news of Christ. So he is judged swiftly by the Lord. And this is the first instance in Acts 13 where we see the, the key of preaching in action. It accomplishes something. And with Elymas, the magician, we see the kingdom of heaven closed. He's kept out of the kingdom of heaven by his unbelief and unrepentant heart. And he's declared to be under... God's judgment, as Lord State 31 puts it, the, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rested on him as long as he did not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. However, then there's the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. We see the kingdom of heaven being opened to him. Verse 12 says about him, then the proconsul believed. We saw what had happened, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed the gospel message proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas. As he believed, he is ushered into the kingdom of heaven. And that's how the keys of the kingdom work. Some are kept out of the kingdom by unbelief, like Elymas. Some are brought in 
by faith that surges Paulus. That's the first example in our reading from Acts 13. And the second example is even more clear than the first. Paul and Barnabas, they left Cyprus and eventually came to Antioch in Pisidia. They went into the synagogue there on the Sabbath day. And the rulers of the synagogue, they asked them if they had any word of encouragement to speak. So Paul stood up and he preached the gospel to them. We're now going to follow the flow of Paul's sermon to see the keys of the kingdom of heaven in action. Now, verses 17 to 25 functions as an introduction to his sermon, and it sets the context for Paul's message. See, Paul describes some of the history of Israel, showing how it led up to uh, the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth in history. And the main point of this first section of Paul's sermon is in verse 23, there Paul says, Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now, in a very real way, that statement in verse 23, it functions as, you could say, as as the theme for Paul's sermon. Yes, Paul, using a theme Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And in the rest of his sermon, Paul's going to prove this statement true. And then near the end, he's going to show them the implications of this truth, as in, what does this all mean for you listening to this message? So then verses 26 to 41 then forms the main body of Paul's message. And actually, we can nicely divide the main body of his message into three points. Yeah, Paul... Use three points, you could say. In point one, verses 26 to 31, Paul hones in on the person of Jesus describing who he is. He describes what happened to Jesus and explains why he was the Savior, is the Savior. He says that people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Christ for who he was, Instead, they condemned him and asked Pilate to have him executed. And after his crucifixion, they laid Jesus in a tomb. But what did God do? God raised him from the dead. That's the main message of point one. Yes, Jesus was crucified by the people, but God raised him from the dead. In point two of his sermon, verses 32 to 37, Paul will show why Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ being the promised son of David, the Savior. And Paul shows this by quoting from three different Old Testament scripture passages. And these passages all point ahead to the Christ who was raised from the dead. The main message of Paul's second point is found in verse 32. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. So in the first point, you put Jesus to death, God raised him from the dead. The second point, 
by raising up Jesus, God has fulfilled his promises to our forefathers. But in point three of his sermon, verses 38 to 41, Paul then moves to the main application of these truths. And for our purposes this afternoon, this is the most important section we're going to focus on. And that's because it's specifically in these last words of Paul's sermon that we see again the the keys of the kingdom of heaven in action. Here he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed or justified from everything from which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. Again, this is the opening of the kingdom of heaven, just like described in Lord's Day 31. Through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes in the Savior is justified before God. And everyone who believes in Christ is freed from the guilt of their sin. They're freed from God's eternal punishment on sin. See, the Apostle Paul's sermon has been building to this point, this application of the work of Christ. However, there's another side to this as well. Paul also adds in verses 40 and 41. He says, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And that is this, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Gives a warning. It's the closing of the kingdom of heaven through the preaching. It says, if anyone does not believe the gospel message, he or she will perish. They will not be justified before God. Will not receive forgiveness of sins. Will not be freed from God's eternal punishment on sinners. Look at the results of Paul's preaching. Next Sabbath, nearly the whole city came to hear the word of the Lord. But again, there's opposition. The Jews began to contradict what Paul was saying. And so Paul says, you are thrusting aside the word of God. And by doing so, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. By their unbelief, they have been kept out of the kingdom of heaven. It's closed to them. They judge themselves unworthy of eternal life by their unbelief, thrusting aside the word of God. So the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rested on them as long as they did not repent. However, there were many Gentiles there who did believe the message. And it says, as many as who were appointed to eternal life believed. Ones who believed they were ushered into the kingdom of heaven. God gathered 
his elect into his church by the preaching of the gospel. And here is where we must understand something of the utmost importance. There is absolutely no difference between the people listening to Paul's message way back when, when it was first preached, and us here today listening to the sermon. There is absolutely no difference. Why is that the case? Because it doesn't depend on the one bringing the message, but it depends on the message that is proclaimed. And the same message Paul proclaimed way back then is now being proclaimed in our midst. Paul preached in verse 26, to us has been sent this message of salvation. And in verse 38, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And that's why I said at the very start of the sermon, listening to the preaching of the gospel is the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. This is why we take to heart the words of Hebrews 2. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So everyone must listen up and listen carefully. And that means everyone, men and women, boys and girls, single and married, seniors and children. The message of salvation is right now entering into your ears. Take care that it also enters into your heart. Why would you shut your ears and your heart to this message of salvation? Why would any of you harden yourself in unbelief? Why would you perish forever? The King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is calling you to believe in him right now. If you reject his call, it will not go well for you. Make no mistake about it. If you reject the message, you will be condemned forever. I have to tell you that. Make sure you do not thrust aside the word of God, judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. Well, that's the closing of the kingdom. But then there's the opening as well. And again, everyone must listen up and listen carefully. It means men and women, boys and girls, single and married, seniors and children. I can assure you, you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven completely, fully. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are justified before God. You have been set free from the guilt of your sin. You have been set free from eternal death. Your sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. And you don't need to doubt. 
You can know for sure that this is true of you. All those who believe, all those who are appointed to eternal life, believe the message. Believe it. Be saved. Which brings us to our second point. So that was the keys of the kingdom when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. We must now look at the key of church discipline. Lord's Day 31 summarizes scripture when it teaches Christ, uh, sorry, church discipline is applied to people who call themselves Christians, but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine and life. So there's one key difference between the, king, uh, the kingdom key of preaching and the kingdom key of discipline. The preaching of the gospel is administered to everyone in the world and anyone without distinction. The gospel is proclaimed in the church and outside of the church to be preached by ministers, by missionaries. In fact, the gospel message can be proclaimed by all of us uh, when we speak to our neighbors or co-workers about Jesus Christ. However, things are slightly different when it comes to church discipline. You can notice this difference in question 84 and question 85. In question 84, the question was asked, how is the kingdom of heaven first opened and then closed by the preaching of the gospel? But with church discipline, question 85 asks, how is the kingdom of heaven first closed and then opened by church discipline? Why the difference well, this is because church discipline is only applied to those who are already in the church. As we confess in Lord's Day 31, according to the command of Christ, church discipline is applied to people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life. Now, uh, we might have the tendency to think that church dis discipline is only is a job only for the elders. And it is true that things such as discipline announcements and excommunications are in the hands of the elders and the consistory. However, what we must understand is that church discipline starts with all of us. Christ makes this clear in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, Jesus says, go and tell him his fault you and him alone. Well, that can be perhaps a bit of a, a scary thing, but it's necessary. That's because sin has a hardening effect. If we don't say something, that person might never repent at all. Furthermore, if we know our brother is, or sister is sinning, we don't approach him or her, we, in a way, share in that person's guilt. After all, we knew he or she was sinning and did nothing about it. In addition to that, if sin isn't confronted, it often spreads to other people in the church. Christ goes on. Matthew 18, and he says, If your brother does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So those are uh, the words of Christ in Matthew 18. And we can see, again, this is serious business. So what we confess in Lord's Day 31. Such people are forbidden the use of the sacraments. They are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. Now you might wonder, how can we confess, especially that last part uh, of that answer, how can we confess that the judgment of the elders and excluding such persons from the Christian congregation is uh, mirrored or matched by God himself, excluding them from the kingdom of Christ? might sound a bit presumptuous. It sounds like God is subject to a human decision. However, the reason we confess this is because of what Christ teaches in Matthew 18. He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the binding of the church on earth is mirrored by the binding of Christ in heaven. And that's also why the church must bind with utmost care. And that's also why the proper use of church discipline is a mark of the true church. Now, of course, God is not bound to an off, unlawful binding by the church. God's word and judgment stand supreme always. However, this is not meant to negate the authority of the church in discipline. Church discipline, properly applied, does indeed close a kingdom door on those who refuse to repent. So we must watch ourselves. Church must take care to administer discipline correctly according to God's word. And we must all watch our own lives so that we don't become ruled by life of sin. Take care that sin does not rule our lives. Let's also look out for each other in love. Talking to someone about a sinful lifestyle they're living may not be easy, but it's important. That person's eternal well-being is at stake. Surely that's enough incentive to talk to that person. Let's also remember the other side of church discipline, too. Church discipline does not need to be the final word in a person's life, even when someone is excommunicated. The goal of church discipline is done out of love to bring someone to their senses. The goal is always to bring someone back. And by God's grace, someone might indeed be brought back. It does happen. Well, Paul describes an instance of church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5. There he says about someone living an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. So you see, again, the authority of, the, of discipline has the authority of Jesus. Why are, is the church to do this? To hand this man over to Satan, so to speak. Paul says 
It's for the destruction of his sinful flesh. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And that is always, again, the goal of church discipline. And it can and does happen that God brings a wayward sinner to repentance. And when that happens, that person is ushered into the kingdom of heaven again with open arms. As we confess in Lord's Day 31, they're again received as members of Christ, full members of Christ. Now the church, when they promise and show real amendment. You know, beloved, I know these are weighty matters. It's not always easy. But this is also an encouraging thing. God has given us a key of preaching to usher us into the kingdom of heaven, to point us, put us on the road to eternal life. He has given us both the key of preaching and church discipline to keep us on that road. So, beloved, pray for the preaching. Pray that it would be faithful, that we would be brought to faith through it. Pray that we as church would be ready to admonish each other and to receive admonishment, if necessary, in love. Pray for all of us. We might live godly lives, pleasing to our King. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 44, stanzas 2, 3, 4, and 5.